0: Old mining town on the verge of collapse. A community doing their best. A cosmic horror looming beyond the hills. A ghost tormenting a young girl and her friends. At the end of everything, hold on to anything. Good day, everyone, and welcome. To blind to nostalgia. I'm R. Kistling, the great and powerful cheese fry, and on this show I look at games that came, conquered, and left their mark in the memories of those who played them, but never met my inputs. Today I'll be looking at a pretty new game for this, our first episode: 2017's Indie Darling Night in the Woods, developed by Infinite Fall and published by Finji. I've had this game on my radar since its release, honestly. Uh, And even beforehand during the Kickstarter days, uh, I was seeing news articles and uh, buzz about it. uh, Even as early back as 2015, its original intended release date. But first, a little bit of history on the project. Night in the Woods started out as a Kickstarter, uh, run by Infinite Fall, which is a development company led by Alec Holoka, Scott Benson, and Bethany Hockenberry. The Kickstarter went live on October 23rd, 2013, promising a very hopeful October 2015 release date. Of course, now we all know it didn't come out until... A year and a half later, but I believe, personally, that it was better for it. The Kickstarter project gained quite a large following, uh, with over 7,000 backers giving almost $210,000 to make this wonderful, wonderful game come to life. According to the Steam review charts, during the release window... Night in the Woods gained a very, very, very good rating of Very Positive, very, very quickly. Even today, it still sits at a very positive rating on Steam, even after news of allegations against the developer and composer, Alec Holoka, and the following news of his death. Something in my mind that definitely bodes well for a game And attests to its quality is when you have people reviewing it after multiple playthroughs. Now, before we get too far into this, I do want to admit that before recording this podcast, I only played it once. A mistake I am sure to remedy very soon. First off, I want to talk a bit about how this game looks. I can't deny not especially not being an artist or developer that this game has a very unique art style. A Night in the Woods adopts this sort of paper doll flash animation um, storybook I think would be the best way to describe it storybook style. The art style is almost deceptively innocent in its style and it kind of fits in with the story and the main character and how she views the world and i'll talk about that towards the end in the spoiler section as far as animation goes uh, everything is real smooth i mean silky butter smooth especially this little turning animation it was one of the very first things i noticed when i actually got control of may the main character may borowski and it was whenever you change directions there would actually be a bit of a 3d effect that happened on may's body as she turned around and it really felt like she was in this world instead of just snapping to the other direction like um another game of this style may be want to do Now, as far as the setting goes, the setting of Possum Springs, it's the small town, almost feels like in any town, right? It's very isolated from everything else. It's a couple hours away from the next nearest town over. And the community is very, very tight. Now, the town has very recognizable landmarks. Uh, You have the street that the main character, May, lives on. Um, and as you go west, you have apartment buildings, you have more residencies, you have restaurants, you have a pawn shop that, in my playthrough, I never entered. I don't know if that's a thing that you can do. And then as you get towards the end of town, you have the old pickaxe, which is where uh, May's best friend uh, Beatrice, or B, works. Actually, she runs the shop. Uh, as you Continue on to the next area, you have the video store and um, some more apartment buildings. And then at the very, very, very edge of town, right before you get to the old food store um, something I can actually relate to a a dead food store um, is basically like a convenience store kind of thing. And that is where The Last of Our Friends uh, works. So Full disclosure, I only have about 11 hours, between 11 and 12 hours of game time, and about three of those is me leaving the game open in the background while I walked away. But in that time, I came to know this town, I came to learn about the people in it, and it sort of felt like a second home. And I'm sure it's weird to say that about a video game, but... It takes a lot of heart to create something like that. Possum Springs feels like a real place, even though, as far as aesthetics go, it looks like it came out of a storybook. And since we're talking about how real things feel, I feel like this is a great time to talk about our characters. Normally you look at a game like this, a side-scroller with some platforming in it, and you don't expect such depth in the world and in the characters, and in the story. You definitely don't expect, you know, Mario to walk up and find a dismembered arm in front of Peach's Castle. You don't expect to see something like that in any game that looks like this game does. And yet that is what Infinite Fall decided to do, and I believe that this game was better for it. They made sure that every character felt like a real character. So let's talk about some of those characters. So we're going to start with our main character, the one that we spend all of our time with. And that is May Borowski. May is a cat. She is short, kind of fat, and is home from college. She dropped out. So she dropped out of college. She came home. Everyone's wondering what's going on. She's wondering what's going on. It's a whole snafu. And a couple of days in, she meets up with all of her friends from before she left. Greg, who is the troublemaker, uh, he is the one that works at the convenience store. It's called the Snack Falcon. And he is really, really excitable. Uh, In fact, Greg was... My favorite character, because I saw a little bit of me in him and how weird he was. I have cups on my ears. Um, at least until I met B. Uh Beatrice is a crocodile or alligator. I'm not entirely sure which. Um, and she runs the Old Pickaxe, which is basically the hardware store. The mom and pop hardware store of Possum Springs. And she is the one I focused most of my time on. In my first playthrough. I won't lie about that. I did pick favorites. Although it does feel like you almost have to. You have to almost pick one character. And stick with them. And that's why I'm sorry. That I didn't play the entire game. Over and over and over. Before producing this episode. But. What can you do? And then there's Angus. And Angus is... A darling. He is a bear, and he doesn't really talk much. And I wonder if part of that's just because I didn't interact with him much, but he really doesn't talk much. And these four characters, including a side character, a bird named Germ, or Jeremy, he goes by Germ, these are our main characters. And in fact, these are the characters that show up on the Kickstarter banner if you look at the website. Of course, Four characters does not a town make. So, in addition, you also have May's uh, Aunt Molly, who is a cop. Uh, And May lovingly refers to as Aunt Mall Cop. You have May's parents. Uh, Her mom works in the church as a receptionist, and her dad works at the supermarket as a deli counter- Attendant. I'm not sure what the actual title for that is. There's Mr. Chazikov, the very, very kind, star loving teacher that every couple of days you go to see and go stargazing in the middle of the day. Of course, every day I visited Selmers, who sits on her stoop and tells us poetry, which was just lovely. In fact, uh, every cycle, I looked forward to Selmer's poetry. And every so often there was this gaggle of four characters. I don't know if I ever learned their names, but they were always just arguing over things. And it was so funny. Every time I stopped by them, I stopped and listened to what they had to say, even if it had nothing to do with what I was doing. In fact, on the last day, they were arguing over whether to close down the roads or just invest in a ton of rock salt. And it was was making the world feel real. It was making it seem like there was stuff going on outside of what May was doing. And it was awesome. And honestly, with a game with a story this dark, it's great to have levity. Now, as much as I'd love to start gushing about the story and starting to tie everything together, I'd like to first stop by again and talk a bit about how this game plays. Of course, now my understanding is that how this game plays changes ever so slightly depending on whose story you decide to follow. For instance, I mostly followed Bee's story, so there wasn't a whole lot of side things to do. Uh, The most crazy thing that you do during her story is go to a party and dance and argue a few times. But in between everything that happens, there are light platforming elements. May is a cat. After all, so she can jump on the fences, on the mailboxes, tree branches. She can walk across power lines and somehow not get electrocuted. And this actually does help in finding a few of the secret areas. And of course, her nimble nature as a cat comes pivotal in the story. And I promise we will get to the story but outside of the platforming and the character interactions you get these neat little almost pov views where you actually control May's hand directly and you can do things like eat a pizza poke a dismembered arm with a stick toss a ball around on the postboard and of course the most interesting and depending on the route you take most important thing steal there's also a very short very small robot builder mini game as well as a knife fight mini game depending on whether or not you focused on greg greg rules okay there's a video game within this video game that you can choose to play um for quite a long time i actually don't know when it ends because i didn't finish it Uh, called Demon Tower, and that's basically your your classic dungeon crawl, but it has really, really good gameplay, uh, oddly enough, for a game within a game. Normally, things like that aren't that good. My first instinct would go to Super Turkey Puncher Turbo from Doom 3. Thankfully, Demon Tower is not like that. And I believe that's a good thing because it's integral to Angus's storyline, I think. Now, of course, my favorite minigame of the bunch and the one that I spent the most time with was the bass playing minigame. So B, May, Angus, and Greg are in a band together. Uh, Greg is on guitar, Angus sings, B uses her computer to synthesize sick beatsies, and May is on bass, which is great when you're playing with a controller. Four strings on a bass, four face buttons on the controller, you don't have any weird things like the pro difficulties of Guitar Hero. Thank God, I don't think I would have been able to handle that. And what's really cool is... The mini games really don't have anything to do with the overarching main storyline, absolutely nothing, especially the bass playing mini game, the music, the band playing, nothing to do with the storyline. It's just another thing that you can do, and it's another thing that makes this world feel real. I'm going to keep coming back to that. I'm going to keep coming back to this world feeling real because everything that the developers did, everything that was put into this game was in the service of making Possum Springs feel real. Because of course, nobody's actual life is only about the main storyline. If that were true, life would be extremely dull. But also at the same time, life isn't about a series of scavenger hunts That are still related to the main storyline. Because again, that would get old really, really quick. Life is about people. Life is about doing dumb shit that has nothing to do with anything that you're doing. And it's messy. And this game explores that quite well. And I quite like it. But once again, I digress. So let's get back on track and talk about the music the music is wonderful in this game composed by the late Alec Holoka the music is everything that the game needs it to be when it needs to be spooky the music is spooky two dumbasses that are on the tv come on i don't remember their names all of a sudden when they come on it's goofy and it's stupid and it's kind of awesome despite all that and of course the music that the band plays is just phenomenal have had Die Anywhere Else stuck in my head since the first time I booted up the game and played that song. It is so catchy, and it is wonderful. And again, it has nothing to do with the main storyline. It's just something the kids do to feel normal, to kind of ignore the main storyline. And of course, the music when you're in the town, when you're walking around Possum Springs, very serene. Because the people that are walking around don't know what's going on. And the town itself is unaware of what goes on beneath and what goes on inside of May. And I think now is a great time to wade into spoiler territory. I'm going to go ahead and start talking about the story. Before we get started with this section, though, I do want to apologize. Again, I didn't get the full story because I only focused on one character. Not only that, but I really, really didn't take great notes. So if I skip a major plot point or if I mess up something, I apologize. Of course, this is now spoiler territory, so anything that you don't want to hear will be stored in here. If you want to skip this, go to 32 minutes, 25 seconds, and you'll be safe. Now, the story of Night in the Woods is simple on the surface, and then it just slams on the gas And never lets go. Except for, of course, those brief periods between story beats. And it is dark. I mean, really, really dark. We're talking kids disappearing and nobody being able to find them, only to learn that they've been sacrificed to a whole dark. But, of course, I'm getting way, way, way ahead of myself. So let's start at the beginning. May, a fresh college dropout, comes home via bus and is marooned because her parents thought that she was coming the day after. So we have to trudge through the woods to get home. Upon getting home, she has a bit of a fit with her dad letting him know how uncool it was to just sort of leave her at the bus stop. And we go to bed. In the morning, we meet her mom, have a very similar conversation, get some apologies, all good. We learn that our old friend Greg, Greg rules okay. is now working at the Snack Falcon, which replaced the food donkey. Greg is, of course, our local troublemaker. Crimes. Um, But he reminds May that there is still a band, of course, missing a drummer and a bassist, and this is where B comes in. So at band practice, we meet B and Angus, Angus being uh, the bear, the vocalist, and Greg's boyfriend. Of course, during this first band practice, this is where we hear the first absolute banger of the story, die anywhere else after band practice they head to the click clack diner for a not so great slice of pizza they catch up a little bit they talk for a minute and then they step out to find nothing but a dismembered arm in an army jacket like i said this game goes from cheery to dark really really fast. A couple of days go by with minimal disturbances and then May starts to have weird dreams. And she starts to see this ghost. Now in her dreams, she's in these astral areas and she's lighting these torches and finding really big animals that from what I can tell... Either absorb her or kill her. I'm not quite clear on what's going on. All I know is that it appears and then she, like, gets Thanos snapped. Most of the second act of the game is spent getting to know your chosen character, either Greg, Angus, or B. Of course, I chose B, so I learned a lot about her struggles with her dad. You learn about her mom dying of cancer during their senior year of high school. We learn how B and May even became friends. It was through uh, scouts. During B's storyline, we learn a lot about her and what it means to grow up from her eyes and this clash between B, who was forced to grow up, and May, who refuses to grow up. And at some point during the end of the game, the end point, they have opened up to each other again so much that May actually admits what's wrong. And do you remember earlier in the episode when I mentioned that the art style sort of matches how our main character sees the world? Well, May suffers from an affliction that causes her to see everything as just. Shapes. Just shapes. Not people, not places, but just shapes. And this is actually the reason why she dropped out of college. She couldn't focus. She was very smart, according to all the other characters. But she couldn't focus, and she felt anxious, because she could not comprehend anything but shapes. Of course, there's an overarching story in between the character stories of this ghost that is kidnapping kids and these kids just disappear. In fact, we see one of these kidnappings happen during the Harfest festival um, on Halloween, which is about halfway through the game. We actually see someone get taken and this really messes May up. and everything's just sort of starts going downhill from there. We go to a graveyard with B. We end up going to the library and researching um, a, an old newspaper clippings through a microfiche. We go to an old abandoned warehouse or it's not really abandoned. It's actually been converted to the Historical Society, but it's an old, old house with Greg. And we learn that there were some struggles in the town's early years. And we learn this as early as the Harfest festival, of course. We learn that at the very, very beginning, the town was almost cursed or everyone believed that it was cursed because the water was undrinkable. If you drank the water, you would die because it was high in copper, which, of course... No animal is able to drink copper. But also, that the miners that built Possum Springs, the miners that were so integral to the life and to the economy of Possum Springs, formed a union, went on strike. And the government of Possum Springs and the area that they were in, the the state, the municipal, whatever, met that with force. And several people died from this. In fact, this is the origin for the legend of Little Joe, who was a kid in the crowd and was shot just because he was there. In fact, it may not have even been on purpose, But the story is that he haunts the woods and the cemetery and the grounds around the mines. Of course, by the end of everything, we learn that there was never a little Joe, or at least not a ghost. Once again, I have to remind you that this game is really, really dark. At the very end of the very last chapter before the epilogue, we find out that there is a group of old men, older men, that have been kidnapping vagrants, vagabonds, and delinquents. People who they deem to be no use to society, and they chuck them down this very, very, very deep hole in one of the old mines. And in fact, we learn that May's old friend and the drummer of the band, Casey, met that fate. And they claim to have been doing it because of the same forces that May was seeing in her dreams. And they claim that they're doing it for the betterment of Possum Springs. And of course, it's very hard to believe this. As the player, as the characters, uh, as the kids, rather... It doesn't make sense. It sounds odd. It sounds like a superstition that was blown way, way out of proportion. And in some degrees it is. But it is the main driving force behind the story of this game. Is these parents taking kids and throwing them down the well. Or down the hole in this old, old abandoned mine the worst part of course is that these people this cult try and induct our four heroes and of course they're not having it not there in the moment and um, they were definitely not going to think about it when they got home and this is after a chase scene that leaves may debilitated a three-day coma There's a whole slew of things that happen. But in the end, we cause a cave-in, and we sort of just leave that cult there to die. And again, this game gets really, really dark. But, I guess good triumphed? I mean, we didn't cave in, pun intended, and we didn't join the cult, so there's that. We also got rid of the cult, so there's also that. So I guess good triumph in this story, even though there was some remorse. These characters actually felt remorse for, well, I say they did, uh, over just leaving these people at the bottom of this mine, except for Angus, of course, because he was very clear that they killed people, so they didn't have to worry about all of that. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely a trolley problem. You know, kill the few to save the many or kill the many to save the few, I think, is how that's actually supposed to go. The first viewpoint held by our characters and the second viewpoint held by the cult. The game ends in an epilogue where everything seems to have gone to normal. And of course, our four main characters are mostly traumatized by this. But May makes a point that they need to try and be normal. So they have band practice and they all agree that despite everything at the very end, yeah, music and pizza sounds good. Night in the Woods affected me in ways I didn't think it was going to. I did not start the game thinking that there was going to be this this, uh, grand story that was being played out by these intricate characters in a world that was so well fleshed out, I honestly thought it could have been real. And honestly, for 11 hours over the last week, I was playing a game and I saw people where there were shapes. I don't think I'm qualified to talk about the psychology or the socioeconomics or any of these other topics that over the last two years have been thrown into the ring about this game. But what I can posit is that I went into this game completely blind, two years of avoiding spoilers, absolutely blind to the nostalgia, and I was not disappointed. And if you haven't played this game, first of all, shame on you, but second of all, you owe it to yourself to buy this game and play it. I promise you will not regret it. I want to thank you everyone for listening. This was the pilot episode of a brand new series. Blind Nostalgia has been in my mind brain for several years now. And it has changed forms over and over until I finally landed on this format. And I cannot be more proud of this. With that being said, I have been the great and powerful Cheese Fry. And once again, thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Jones. That is r-k-i-s-t-l-i-n-g-j-o-n-e-s. You can also support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cheese fry. That is patreon.com forward slash C-H-I-Z-F-R-I. Because every penny counts when you're trying to support small businesses in a dying mining town. Today's proverb, at the end of everything, hold on to anything. And as always, have a great day.